Hello, folks, and welcome back to We Read This. Uh, continuing on from yesterday's episode on Richard II, here is an extended interview with Gregory Goodchen, in which we talk more about uh, his fantastic performance of puppet King Richard II. I really can't praise the production highly enough. It was a really, really special show, one I think about a lot. And rereading Richard II for um, the podcast, there's really only one person I wanted to talk to about it because I was still thinking of Gregory's show. When you walked in, you saw uh, uh, Gregory in paint and costume, um, towering over a little court, which was just a simple board with holes in it where he'd positioned his puppets, some of which were just spoons, some of which uh, were a bit more complicated. And he had these these little pen lights illuminating it all. It was like a tiny little film set. Um, and before he even said anything, it was such a exciting premise for Richard II, knowing what's going to happen to him later in the play and seeing him here uh, looming above everyone as if he really is the sun. And of course, Gregory was magnificent as the fey, um, lost, proud, insular, maddeningly uh, brilliant, but uh, ultimately flawed king. Uh, and it wasn't just him. It wasn't a one-man show. He was he was joined by Lucas Augustine, who uh, played Bolingbroke and, and several of the other puppets as well, as well as um, controlling the sound. It was this just really sort of tight little um, set they had, festooned with uh, props and and bits of costume and lights. It was directed by uh, Linda Marlowe and then the wonderful uh, puppets. And it, the, the, uh, we talk a lot about the the spoons and the uh, the gloves in the in the interview, but there are also these magnificent uh, Czech puppets, which we, we get to talk about towards the end as well, um, uh, which were designed by uh, Yitka Davidova. Um, so a huge, huge thank you to Gregory once again for um, for talking to me. If you haven't listened to the episode on Richard II, go and go and check that out. It's um, as I've said a few times now, it, it really is a favourite play of mine. So I'm uh, particularly excited to talk about it. Uh, but without further ado, I'm going to hand over to Gregory now, and I think I start off by asking him a fairly basic interviewer's question: Where did he first see Richard II? I was thinking about that just now. And it, uh, it goes back a long way. Um, when I was um, probably in my late teens, the, the Royal Shakespeare Company uh, had a London season every year, which took place at the Aldwych Theatre. Mm. And w- one of the highlights of a particular year in the late 1970s was a, a star vehicle sort of production of Richard II, I think directed, I think directed by Trevor Nunn, um, with Richard Pascoe, and uh, Ian Richardson uh, in the two roles of uh, Bullingbroke and, and Richard. And the, the trick was, which was very clever, and I didn't think of it at the time being young and, and, and uh, didn't see very much theatre and so on, but the trick was that they alternated roles. Mm. So you would go twice. You would go to see Ian Richardson playing Richard II and then perhaps on a following night or the same day if there was a matinee, you'd see... Um, Richard Pascoe play it and the other one play play Bolingbroke um, it was uh, and it was a theatrical tour de force not just because of that I think it was a, it was a cracking production and uh, very very beautiful and uh, I think I must have been at drama school so I I when we were asked to do one 
person shows, uh, edits together uh, all the scenes or speeches of a particular character in a Shakespeare play. It was part of the, the course. Um, that's what I chose. Mm. And I was absolutely dreadful. Um, I, I, was, I was really useless at it, even though in retrospect, now that I'm much too old to play the part, I do play the part. And when I was nearer the right age to play the part, I couldn't play the part. And uh, I'll, I'll, if you want to ask another question, do. But there's, there's, a, there's a slightly funny self-disparaging story I could tell you oh, no, about how I it. found out how bad I was. And that was that uh, I had a scholarship year at this drama school. I had to pay my way. So I had keys to the college and I used to go in very early in the morning and sweep and clean for a couple of hours before the school started. And this paid my rent or something like that. But because I had the keys, I had an enormous bunch of keys, which included the key to the staff room where the files were kept, which included the notes that our revered, our revered tutors had made on our uh, stumbling efforts. And it was quite early on in the course. I think it was beginning of the second year or something like that. <laughs> and I made the mistake of wanting to know what they'd thought of my um, idea of Richard II. And, uh, and open the notes. And the most revered of, of all of the tutors was a fantastic woman called Hilary Wood, who now uh, leads the course at uh, Trinity, I think, in, in Dublin. Invented, made a course, an acting course in Dublin. Absolutely brilliant teacher. And uh, her notes, it consisted of, in a terrible sort of agitated scrawl, <laughs> who does this boy think he is? <laughs> and... <laughs> And I stood there at half past six in the morning on a sort of cold, cold London, uh, grey, misty morning. Uh, absolutely, my heart sort of went cold. Oh, and I no. thought, oh, I'm in the wrong, wrong, wrong uh, course. What am I doing? I, I don't know who I am. You know, it sort of caused a sort of crisis, really. So 40 years later, <laughs> um, when, when uh, Guy Roberts in Prague said, do you want to do Richard II?, I, my juvenile self leapt at the opportunity. And it, it goes on, if, if you don't mind me talking a Please bit more, do. to the whole question of whether there's such a thing as psychology in Shakespeare. Mm. And that question that sort of now seared on my memory, who does this boy think he is, came back uh, 40 years later as a question about Richard. Who does he think he is? And then, then when looking for the right uh, script, the, the right edition, I, I downloaded, paid for and downloaded what's called the first folio, friendly, friendly first folio, I think it's called, run by two ex-globe actors. And they provide the, the first folio, which I can't remember the date, but it's, it's the first time that the, all the plays were published. And it had a, it had a very slight um, difference in, in the line where Richard says, thus play I in one person many people, in many of the modern editions, in the, in the first folio, it says, thus play I in one prison, hmm. many people. And that begged the same question. Is Shakespeare telling a story with a plot and wants us to focus on the, the walls and the dripping dank stones of Pontefract Castle? And, or is he asking a psychological question? Is this king somehow playing all the parts in his cell, trying to 
track back and see how he got there. And it's not a play which is usually associated with with psychology. It's a, it's a it's more like a chronicle. A lot of it rhymes, and it sort of owes a lot to Chaucer and fourteenth century literature. But one had to ask that question many, many, many times. Who's saying this? Who, who, where are we? Are we in his head? Are we really, you know, where the stage directions say we are or what's yeah. going on? Before you came to your own production, were there any standout other productions you'd seen that influenced it apart from that Trevor Nunn one? Or, or were you in uh, other Richard II productions before your own? No, I've never been in it apart from um, my, my version, The Puppet. King Richard II. Have I seen it? Yes, of course. Yes, uh, in in Paris, um, a wonderful theatre company called Théâtre du Soleil, uh, run by an extraordinary teacher director called Ariane Mushkin, and they had a a, a grand season um, in 1982. 83 and they it was called Les Shakespeare mm. and they did two they did Twelfth Night and they did Richard II and each one was was uh, not not just a rendition of the play but it had also been the result of a, a lot of research into um, a, a very different style of theatre so I think one of them was uh, heavily influenced by by Indian theatre that was Twelfth Night and one of them was heavily influenced by Japanese theatre, and that was Richard II. Mm. So they had kabuki makeup on, and an extraordinary um, high-pitched monotone delivery um, with some extraordinary swoops and things at the end, which might have, have uh, raised the hackles of somebody devoted to traditional speaking of Shakespeare, but was absolutely mesmerising to see in French, mm. in translations, modern tr- translations. So perhaps they felt less encumbered by the, by, by the iambic, by the pentameter. Um, and they did extraordinary physical things where whenever they appeared on horseback, they were the horses. So there were no horses, um, but they did all the movements of someone on horse, a horse shying and rearing and galloping and you know there was it was very very physical and very very beautiful and um rehearsed for months and months if not you know years and uh extraordinary the kind of theater we don't make Mm. actually can't think of anybody who could have done that so that's that i saw that um and and then i saw then i saw when we were at Edinburgh last year, when you saw the production, um, uh, Simon Russell Beale had just played Richard. Oh yes, and I saw that on on um, a live screening. Yeah, very, very, very different. Mm. Um, very, very fast and very grim, and um, very tragic and brilliant mm. in another way. He's an odd fit, isn't he? For, for yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah. It, well, I, I was, I was mightily relieved because I think we're about the same age. So <laughs> I, I, I was able to jettison any reservations I'd had about my age playing Richard, who was thirty-three, I think, at the time of the play. Mm. And uh, he's, he's so light on his feet, anyway, Simon Russell Beale, and he's, he's, he's so quick and quick-witted you you wouldn't you you really wouldn't say to yourself okay he's too old you would never know it's not uh haven't i seen somebody else play i have seen yes i think i've seen jonathan slinger play richard ii yes in the season at the roundhouse 
Mm. Yeah, he was marvelous. For God's sake, let us sit upon the ground and tell sad stories of the deaths of kings. How some have been deposed, some slain in war, some haunted by the ghosts they have deposed, some poisoned by their wives, some sleeping killed, all murdered. For within the hollow crown that rounds the mortal temples of a king keeps death his court. He was no slouch, and uh, he's not in, he's not incompetent. Um, hmm. And and as and as a as a as a boy king, he did some very very brilliant things, including talking down the peasants' yeah. revolt when he was thirteen. 14, something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. 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 Rode into their midst and says, I'm your king. Tell me what you want and I will deliver it. Mm. And, and then the thing historically, which, which gave me a kind of um, lodestone emotionally was uh, he promises all these things. It's not in the play this, of course, but uh, the history is fascinating. So I, I, I kind of read, read, read more of the notes in the, the Cambridge edition than I would norm mm. normally get through with this because the history is really interesting and I knew very little of it. Um, and then all of his promises are uh, rescinded by the, the nobles who are in, actually in charge and, uh, and, and they all have their heads cut off and they're, they're, they're executed and there's a bloodbath afterwards. And, and that for me suggested the origins of his cynicism. Mm. Because because he'd been he'd succeeded so because he'd got he'd 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 met um, with the protesters and agreed with them and said I I, I will re redress your grievances mm. and then uh, it wasn't allowed to happen. I was going to ask you how much you know when it when you take on a big Shakespeare character like that who's also a, a real figure how much you mm. is it's helpful to let uh, history enter into it or if you should consider them approach them like a fictional character um it's a it's a it's a very good question and i i, I wish i could be steadfast one way or the other because it, it a lot of actors will tell you, you, you there's why you don't go outside the play yeah. all the answers are in the play and just do your research within what the the writer has has created the world of the play because if you start acting academic notes then you you you're you're distracting yourself and the audience really away from the away from the play away from the world of the play i'm showing off um, my 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 bit of research because i just found it so so fascinating yeah. you know and his his connection to edward the mm. second you know and um, um, extraordinary how long how long before was edward the second grandfather two generations so, grandfather yeah. Because the succession jumps, doesn't it? It jumps a generation. Edward III. It's great grandfather, Edward... not grandfather. Yes, Edward III dies, and the Black Prince has already died. That's so right, yeah. Richard II becomes king. So so Edward II is his great grandfather. You know, he wanted to have him canonized. He thought he was a saint, and everybody else was absolutely convinced he was a sinner. Mm. And but but for Richard, he was iconic. And, and Edward's buried in Gloucester, and Gloucester is the place that Richard retreats to 
first arrives at Barclay Castle, first arrives at when he comes back from Ireland and first starts to get wind of the way the country is turning against him um, and meets Bolingbroke and has that wonderful um, speech about you're not, you're not bending your knee to me. Show me the hand of God that hath dismissed me from my stewardship or whatever. Mm. And, and Gloucester is where Edward's buried and, and that's where he, he, he had previously retreated to when, when the, the parliament that arraigns him had sort of seized control. He went and held his own parliament in Gloucester. Anyway, uh, that's not in the play. Either. I'm talking about a lot of things which are not in the play. But and there's a lot of the play so which... well with the play, don't they? Like, it's not, it doesn't seem like it's the kind of thing that would get in the way of a, you know, like the Peasants' Revolt and him having an, a youthful success and being a, somewhat mm. warped and perhaps getting a bit of a godlike complex. But I mean, look how yeah, well he, I handled he, that. He, he, and yes. when the rest of these old men around me were flustered. Rapier's hand hath with the king's blood stained the king's own land. Mount, mount, my soul! Thy seat is up on high, whilst my gross flesh sinks down. I hear to die. It's exquisite, though, that line, mount, mount, my soul. Mm. Thy seat is up on high, whilst my gross flesh sinks down here to die. It's, uh, it's the, the best exit line I, uh, you can think of, yeah. really. So is that a tragic realisation? So maybe it is a tragedy, maybe... It's one of those kind of lines that just, I mean, it must be a huge decision for you, a line like that, how how it's played, whether that's a triumphant, triumphant moment for Richard or a desperately sad. It is, it is, it is a triumphant moment, but uh, unfortunately for traditional or um, respectful Shakespeare, we, we, we have a technical hitch at that moment so that the audience is left in doubt as to whether we're taking it seriously or not. Mm. Um, and we have a gadget, a bit like you showed me before the interview started, where you're recording on some uh, digital gadget with buttons on it. Yeah. And we've got one of those, and I can't work it. But Lucas, who plays the stage manager, stroke Bullingbrook usurper, knows how to work it. And I want to press the music, to, to which is um, Handel, Messiah, mm. so that I have a glorious soundtrack exit and um i can't find the right button because i haven't got my glasses (laughs) and so lucas has to do it so we rather i don't i think it happened in an early performance and confused muddied the water so much that it felt right yeah actually so we kept it in wow so that was a genuine it was hitch we had rehearsed me pressing the button so that handle came on and there was a beautiful chorus for richard's ghost puppet to ascend into heaven with and when it came to it the first performance i could not in all conscience press the button because i wasn't sure it was the right one and i didn't want it to for fast forward or fast back play to something the else. wrong cue <laughs> and play something else, which would have been worse. So I, I interrupted that immortal line, mount, mount, my soul, thy seat is up on high, um, to ask Lucas if he could press the button because I hadn't got my glasses on. And and unfortunately, again, if you're listening, you you know, and you you love Shakespeare, you should probably want to stop now. But but um, <laughs> the audience laughed and. 
I've had long had this theory that there's no there's no fool, there's no clown in Richard II because Richard is the clown, and that's my justification. There's a lot of the play which is not in 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 our production because our production is very very short. It, it's it's really only an hour and a half. Um, some wonderful scenes we couldn't include. The very very funny scene at the end when the Duke or Merle and his parents, the Duke and Duchess of York all in quick succession come banging on Bullingbroke's door just as he's become King Henry IV to beg to beg at odds with each other for their son's life or their son's execution or mm. you know, it's it's and it's it's sort of tragic farce very very funny it's, it's so dangerous what Shakespeare does with the uh, the genre of the play people might who aren't very familiar with Richard II might realize they're familiar with particularly John of Gaunt's speech mm. is the speechiness and the more verse because again from a, from a reading perspective i think it's the thing that makes it more enjoyable i find it much more difficult to read shakespearean prose than the verse because the verse has a kind of sense to it to anyone who's who's sort of heard a rhyme before there's a even if you're not picking up on it you can sort of find your way a bit better i think is yes. it harder to perform or easier to perform or what kind of uh, well, with uh, often the prose ha has rhythm too, comic rhythm. Um, but but generally, I think you're freer to breathe and wait and uh, or speed up and or you know shift the rhythm, mm. shift the speed of it in prose. Uh, but it has its own rules. Uh, you, I don't think you can set yourself completely free from the poetic nature of. Shakespeare, just because you're in a big bit of prose, Rosalind's speech at the end of As You Like It, they're highly, highly wrought speeches with lots of um, rhetorical tricks in them. And, you know, um, but of course the verse is, is, is refined in, in a, another way. And you have to observe it. You have to count the syllables. You have to... Um, learn it by heart and then learn it in another way because uh, just the sound of it won't get you through, but it, it, you can fall back on that if you've really, really, really learnt it. Mm. And then you have to be aware of where it, where it disobeys its own rules and why that is and why there's 11 syllables instead of 10 and why it's feminine or masculine and, or why it rhymes at the end. You know, I tell you, cut it, cutting it is... Well, it feels like um, it feels like sacrilege. Mm. You know, it feels like it bleeds when you cut Shakespearean verse, particularly after I forget which play it is, but there's a play where he he learns to change the the, the thought in the middle of the line, um, thus making the character speaking even more brilliant and even more impossible to. To, to cut yeah. he, he's, he's doing something for himself as a, as a poet he's making his work um, uneditable mm. by doing this brilliant thing of changing the thought in the middle of the line rather than at the end of the line um, so it, that, that and Richard is one of those plays and there's this there's, you just can't um, or you have to find a way of sort of kind of eluding over it or you have to add a syllable and that, that feels like sacrilege because you know who am I to put in an it or a a the or a thou or you know whatever but um we had to we had to cut it it had to be cut and if everybody there's very few people do the full the full 
text and it was edited in his lifetime and it was edited soon after and so on. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I was going to ask you more about um, couplets in particular. In fact, Bella and I were reading through, we were going to do a reading um, with a a reading group on Zoom actually of Twelfth Night and so we were practicing and neither of us are actors so we're, we're both of the school of what Bella calls and I've adopted the reading it nicely yeah. school. <laughs> and she, she was saying, um, cup, rhyming couplets are really uh, difficult. And if you're not an actor, y- your instinct, uh, and this is true of both of us, t- is some, you go into a kind of schoolish mode of you read it like it's taught rhyme at school. And it can suddenly like really deaden something because you suddenly read it like you're saying, good morning, miss, you know, s- something yes. that was just drilled into you at school. And I was going to ask you, what, there's a lot of rhyming, as, you, as you've said, in, in Richard II, and they don't always come at the end of speeches in, a, in that sort no. of concluding sound, which is often how rhyming couplets sound if you're not very good at reading them. It sounds like you're wrapping up and handing something over. How do you, how do you make them work? <laughs> um, uh, we were encouraged... Uh, whenever I've done Shakespeare and rhyming couplets have come up, encouraged to try to, uh, even more than usually, um, find the meaning in the line so that the rhyme is um, accidental uh, or not not the point. Right. But it's there for a reason. One of the reasons may be that it made it easier to learn Mm. for the actor. One of the reasons I think with Richard II is that it's a conscious echo of, of Chaucer. Um, and another reason is that um, it makes it easy for the audience. It hooks the audience. I, I was reading somewhere that, um, I think it was John Gielgud said that everyone who does Richard II has to be have a really strong command of verse. And I've seen it said widely that it's a bit of a dwindling art form and that it's maybe not taught the same way or or, or actors aren't trained mm. in verse reading the same way i feel a bit like mm. a tone deaf sort of music critic in that i can't do it but i sort of feel like i i know what i like how i like to hear it kind of thing do you think that it's it's changed much that verse speaking less... has has changed oh yes yeah. yes there's much less attention to the musicality of it mm. there are still great voices but the, the, the impetus is not to give a, a virtuoso soloist performance as if you were, as if you were in a concerto. Mm. Uh, the emphasis these days, as, as exemplified by Simon Russell Beale's, uh, the production he played Richard in, it was very physical production. And his, he has a he's terrific uh, verse speaking probably none better um and yet he allowed himself to be subsumed into the physical event mm. much more than you would ever dream of a gilgood allowing himself to <laughs> to be you know carted about the stage yeah. you know hoisted pushed shoved you know uh, made to fall over you know rolling around in you know buckets of blood and you know it was gory and festive at the same time <laughs> but he did manage to speak it beautifully at the same time you know i th- i think verse speaking is uh well it'll come back it's it's always it's always there but i i i, th- I think people are not uh are not are not as interested in it perhaps you know yeah. uh, people don't say well, let's go and hear the play no. let's go and 
as they used to and sit in the auditorium and hear the play we go to watch the play now and it's still star-led but not you know yes it's not it's not a star who's going to it's not a jazz event or you're not going to hear what um ella fitzgerald does with um the weimar songs of the weimar republic or but you know whatever mac the knife you're going you just you're going to um you're going to go and hear the whole orchestra mm. see watch the whole orchestra I, I wanted to ask you a bit more about specifically your your production what came first for did, did the play come first and the puppets next the play the suggestion of the play came first in uh, 2016 when prague shakespeare company wanted to celebrate or commemorate the the fourth centenary the 400th anniversary of uh, Shakespeare's death by doing all of the plays ah, right. and at that time they, they were being kicked out of their theatre um, their sponsor had dropped out they had no money and so they were just inviting anybody who wanted to 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 do a production to come and use their space whilst they still had it and and gave tremendous sort of support in um, uh, media terms and so on and uh, publicity so he was having trouble finding someone wanting to do Richard II. So he said, why don't you do it? Why don't you do it as a one-man show? Mm. And that rang all the bells that I started this interview with of my abject failure to, to embody, <laughs> to impersonate Richard II when I was a drama student. And I thought, right, yes, I'm <laughs> going to try and have another go at this. And then the next day I woke up and I thought, what have I done? I've, I, how am I going to play all these characters? Who's going to want to watch me being, you know, everybody and uh, living in the land of puppetry here um, with some very creative talented people around who, who 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 work with not just puppets or marionettes but objects as well and animation i thought oh maybe we can do something with this maybe that's start at the end of the play look back have him playing with a sort of toy court and and construct the production that way so that's that's what we did and then wanted to do it again in the uk just made a company of two and, and got lots of people to add, you know, their pennies worth to it mm. from design and making terms. So I think I worked with about 10 people overall on the wow. play. Um, could you t tell us a bit more about the connection between, I don't know if we've actually explicitly said, you're in the Czech Republic. Um, yeah. The connection between the Czech Republic and, and puppetry. Well, when... I went with Brigitte Derner, who was who designed the puppets originally, and I said, I think I want to use objects and and some puppets, and where can I find interesting things? And she said, Come to this flea market. So we, on the coldest day of the year in January, two thousand sixteen, we went to um, an enormous flea market on the outskirts of, of Prague, uh, held in a, a defunct steelworks where they used to make trams and mm. uh, railway tracks and things. Um, and in a, a, an area that had been cleared of uh, industrial architecture, it's sort of uh, uh, a wasteland of frozen mud and puddles, uh, thronging with people in all wearing three overcoats at once, um, standing in these frozen, with, with, with suitcases, basically selling anything they, they had. And uh, it, it included a lot of puppets. I was I was amazed. And she explained that um, until the advent of multiple choice television and uh, lots of channels and lots of uh, other media, um, 
pretty much every household here had a had a box theater and oh, wow. not just one but several sets of puppets with which they would tell uh, different popular fairy stories so one of our puppets comes from a box that had Hansel and Gretel in it um, he's the he's the um, the groom who comes at the very end who makes his gets into the prison to talk to Richard hmm. um, and we found a lot of wooden spoons with smiling faces so they became the the conspirators i think i actually held the, one during um you yes you did yes yes we had to ask thinking. the audience to join in at times because there weren't enough hands between me and lucas to yeah. hold all the puppets <laughs> um uh so they they become bushy baggett and green with their their perpetually smiling hmm. faces and um and we just found lots and lots of really interesting things. And I'd never done object, object theatre before. And I thought, well, this is interesting. And mm. How does this work? And because they had very limited range of movements, I was made to feel competent in their operation. Um, when we later then got rod puppets, um, my, my competence was seriously called into question. And I really had to learn yeah. how puppets uh, with with lots of different moving parts can, can work i'm still not there really i was gonna There's say what's that lot, like lot with everything more. else going on it's uh it, it, it feeds into um any kind of uh multiple thinking or, or multiple personality that you you might think richard ii contains mm. it really helps actually to be having to manipulate lots of things and and work out where the puppets have got to, if we've given that, them out to the audience, who's got, you know, the Duke of York, who's, who, who's got Northumberland, you know, who's yeah. got all Merle, you know, and having to get them back in our hands and carry on with this and still do the scene. It just starts to have a sort of uh, relentless hive mind quality yeah. about it that, that was uh, arduous, but great fun and added to the, I think added to the play and to the, impersonation oh, of Richard. Definitely. I mean, I, I, I said before that the, the number of ways in which Richard II as a puppet, although it's, it's you as Richard II, your actual body, but the, the sort of the puppet king um, aspect, how that continued to kind of reap rewards throughout as a, as a motif, I thought it was just brilliant. And the, the moment when you started handing people out to audience members, it suddenly f really, that gave you a real visceral kick of Oh, he's out of control. You know, we, we, as this play started, Richard was really towering over his little subjects. And because you're doing all the voices, it, it sounds like, you know, is that is that Gregory, the actor, playing Richard and then playing Ormel? Or is that Richard speaking as himself and then impersonating, doing a sarcastic send-up of, of Ormel? But then when we suddenly are holding this character and there's just a sense that it's all spreading out and losing control and... And, and physically, it's, you know, so many bits. It's a yes, real, yes, you get a really yes. strong impression of he's out of control. He's lost it. He's outnumbered. I'm glad. I'm, I'm, I'm glad. That's very kind of you. Um, but it, it also, um, the tide sort of starts to rise and rise <laughs> and rise. And, you know, until there's a sort of flotsam of gl gloves and gauntlets and puppets and wooden spoons yeah. and me and the crown you know and they're all we don't know where they are but we we're in such a small auditorium we of course we know where they are really but uh, but people have to contribute they have to sort of participate in richard's downfall which i i i, lo I love actually. yeah, and, uh, yeah well with you you're throwing um, things around what is it like to to block and 
because I, I know you're, you're, you're saying it's like sort of chaos at the end, but you clearly have to suddenly find Bushy or suddenly have to find that glove. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, that must yeah. be a nightmare to, to block. And do you have to work backwards? Uh, you just have to go for it. I, I, I think it's... Um, once we were confident, both of us were confident, because Lucas came to the show uh, later, mm. once we were both confident about who was doing what at what time, and I'm, I really lucked out with him because he, he's, he's technologically brilliant. He's a wonderful actor, and he's got compartments in his mind that can just deal with sort of anything, really. So I'm, I'm in completely safe hands, and he will then work backwards and say this didn't work because that puppet wasn't in the right hole and we have to work that bit out and then I have to make sure I can get to the other end to press the button for the sound cue and stuff. So uh, it, it, it's him really. That keeps it's track. Having. And then um, Linda Marlowe came on board to, 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 to properly direct it and, mm. and she, she, she was great and instructive and a wonderful eye for detail, mm. you know. No, I just, um, the other thing was about, you asked about puppets in the Czech Republic and oh, yeah. uh, a lot of those plays which the, the, the kids will have grown up uh, playing for themselves and then gone to puppet theatre. Every town had a puppet theatre. Many still do. Uh, they will have heard things in rhyming couplets. Oh. There's a lot of the plays. There's a, there's a Faust, which every puppet company does at some time or another. It's in rhyming couplets. So that again made me think, oh, this play isn't so very far away from being a puppet play yeah. in a way. And like some other of the history plays, but particularly with King Richard, because he's so high and mighty, I guess, there's a real sense of expendable bodies in it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Mm. There's a, a, a sense of deaths around the corner. Um, there's an awful lot of bodies on stage and earls, and like they're always knocking around in the history plays. And there's yes. when... when um, when things go wrong, there's going to be a pretty high high body count. Which is another thing that really lends itself to puppets because they feel, you know, when they are a spoon, they they really feel fragile, <laughs> and they feel like they're being that they're actual characters, but their their physical presence is being mocked and is fragile and yeah um, yeah sort of hanging yes. in the balance. Yeah, life is quite life is uh, is is it right? Life is cheap. Mm. Um, uh, he's prepared to throw away everything to safeguard his uh, absolute, uh, his divine right. Mm. Yeah, including his body. That's why it's such a dangerous play, and why you know, as you as you said, I think in the introduction to uh, Edward II, did you say about Richard II that that, that it was the play that that was uh, commanded before uh, Essex's rebellion? Yes, yeah, and. And Queen Elizabeth is quoted as saying in high, high rage to somebody, to a courtier, I am Richard II, know ye not that? Yeah. She saw herself with her red hair mm. and his red hair and her precarious position and his precarious position. She saw the play as very subversive. Yeah. That's, that's a, I mean, that's a, a fascinating part of Richard II's stage history that mm. i mean you were saying saying earlier how fascinating the history of richard ii himself is but this that's something that you would history never, of the plays exactly you'd yeah. never know would you you'd never guess of all of shakespeare's yeah. play you know which do you think that, that was, was the most dangerous i don't think anyone would mm. pick richard ii um no you'd have thought hamlet, hamlet maybe a fellow that's 
yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But um, obviously, you had, as you say, you had had a director. But what's it l- like rehearsing when you you're carrying the whole lot yourself and you don't have? Uh, I mean, you, you you have Lucas there and you have a director, but for the most part, you are. It, it's been in time. three stages. Um, uh, the, it started out as a solo show in which the, I had to ask the stage manager to come on at the end and kill me. Mm, okay. Um, and out of that grew in Prague when we first did it in Prague. And, and out of that grew the idea that there ought to be a visible stage manager on the stage who the audience thinks is the stage manager and who, who so that was Lucas. Uh, and eventually he usurps me and becomes uh, King Henry the Fourth. Mm-hmm. That's that was so that was the second stage, and then that was glorious because Lucas not only um, plays the guitar but makes his own. So he plays a guitar wow. in the show that he made, and had all the amplifier and the bits, and you know, and was was just great with the tech, necessary technology such as it is and that was just like we played really the two of us just just played oh. together he'd never seen the show because it was in in prague so i had to sh- show it to him and then he he made really practical um contributions and then i thought i'm just i just need to get better with the rod puppets and linda marlow had done a lot of work she she did a with the georgian theater company she did a whole hamlet where she played or voiced all of the characters and many she played Hamlet and the other characters were puppets but she voiced them all in a show and I thought well she'll know what she's talking about and um, I've worked with her many times and she's brilliant so she came on and and finessed uh, a lot of what we'd already done and made some great extra suggestions Mm. it's grown and grown I'd like it to grow more but uh, coronavirus lockdown is not the ideal scenario for. No. Had you thought? Have you thought at all about film with uh, maybe not this production, but m- maybe for it? It seems. Well, I would love to do something where um, I'd love to do something which is a crossover of Shakespeare live online with intercut sequences of cartoon characters who are the avatars of the characters we're watching live to break up the feeling that you're in a security control room mm. with lots of you know little icon pictures on your screen of, of, of lots of faces talking at you um I, I i would love to do something where you know 12th night would be very good like this you know where you've you've, you've got the actors live but then some scenes are played by their cartoon avatars yeah. which are prepared and and just intercut too there are some wonderful czech uh shake shakespeare's czech puppet shakespeare's and there's a wonderful midsummer night's dream um with with very childlike uh childish puppets mm. but but telling the story of midsummer night's dream so. oh wow um when when you when you are uh rehearsing do, is it helpful to think of it as you, you know, you're playing all of these characters, or does that not even really occur? Is it more like I'm playing Richard and Richard's playing everyone? I didn't know actually mm-hmm. to begin with. I I just wanted them all to have a different voice, yeah, and for them all to be, you know, remarkably different. And they were very different objects. And but I wanted to invest them with 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 real life yeah. as far as that was possible. And I could only do that through my voice. So I think I'm. It, I, it may come across that that Richard's parodying people who are actually long gone by, 
uh, in impersonating them with puppets and objects and stuff. But I, I, I think actually I'm trying to, I'm genuinely trying to do Richard II as a puppet play. Yeah. <laughs> and it maybe it comes across as this madman in a, you know, in a cell somewhere just playing. Well, I think I think that's the fun is is uh, you can kind of imagine it both ways. It, it, just from the opening tableau, you you immediately think, oh, hang on, seeing seeing you set up your court. Oh, that's why I love Shakespeare done that way when you have there's a bit of a you know it's not just everyone in in dress everyone's this you know sort of done to scale as it were as it were but when, yeah, when there's a yeah. bit more of a, a a thought process of for the audience of you know is this how representational is this or and it's just fun to to think of that th- all the way through. I was going to good, ask as well. Good. How did did you? Um, what was it like deciding who got what puppet? Was it more of a we've got these puppets? How do we use them? Or did you go? I know you mentioned. Oh, th- uh, they suggested themselves at this flea market. Yeah. They they uh, particularly the gloves, and I thought, of course, gloves, glove puppets. There's a lot of gauntlet throwing mm. from the Act One, Scene Three. You know, and when. Um, Probably in the first scene, they probably hurl their their, their gloves down, and uh, Mowbray and the and and, and Bolingbroke. It's all the way through a gauntlet as a sort of symbol of a, a challenge or uh, or of, or of uh, honor. Or, yeah. So why not make them the puppets as well? Mm. So a lot of them suggested themselves, and then when Yitka Davidkova, who made the big puppets, mm. uh, came along, she 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 added a. a a very, very uh, elegant and uh, demanding level of of actual manipulation and puppeteering mm. because you can't throw those those around. You've got to channel, you've got to channel their lives and uh, let them really talk, really speak. They've, they've got to be as uh, um, interesting as as an as an actor would be mm. in in the part. So, so yeah, anyway, he's got lots of different levels, and uh, and and so has my puppeteering. <laughs> um, this, I'm From not the sure, very basic. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if this is this might be a bit of a boring question for someone used to touring, but I, I was curious because you, you've taken the, this production all over the place, haven't you, over the last few years? Uh, not as all over the place as I would like to be no. <laughs> taking it. Um, we were invited to a nice little festival in in, in Canada. In January, and that's gone by the board because because the planning needs to be now, yeah. and um, the funding needs to be now, and that can't happen because we don't know what circumstances are going to be mm. in, you know, in, is it in January? Um, I I would I would love to be just going anywhere where where people thought they could get twenty people together, and we do a show. Yeah, but. Uh, Lucas and his 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 partner have had a had a, a baby and and now they have four children so they they, they it, it's it's quite um uh difficult for him to imagine going away for a long time but uh I know I would love to carry on with it mm. and no we've only we've only played Prague Brighton Edinburgh and two two towns in Scotland okay because uh, I was, I was going to ask you, is what's it must is is there a, a, a variable response depending on where you go to something that's not only Shakespeare but uh, you know puppetry as well? It depends on the audience, um, and and the, and one of the more pleasing parts of that has been that um, the, the the kids really get it. Mm. Kids really 
you know, it's amazing to me, young kids, like under, under the age where you might expect them to have read any Shakespeare or seen any Shakespeare or have been introduced to it. Um, they, they get, they, they like the, the puppets, but they also tell you afterwards about the story. They've, they've, they've kind of got it. Yeah. And, and so that, I think that comes back to rhyming couplets. I think rhyming couplets really do help the audience, it, you know, as long as you're not hitting too hard. No, we'd like to, we'd like to go on and do, do more performances. And, um, well, I'd love to see it back on the road again. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I hope, I hope it, hope some uh, some way of doing it again whether or not it's somehow semi-filmed or or what well are you saying that we could we could we could film it well i, um, I don't know I, I know you were saying uh, uh, you were thinking more of 12th night for that for that cartoon one but i i thought like the the puppet setup and particularly your your the way you set out your court and sat behind it i could imagine almost being so you filmed could have... in super close up right you know, yeah super little... close so you could pen lights uh-huh. that you had was it a little yes yeah i thought that would look really quite interesting so we could take our time and do it sort of shot by shot and have something quite quite sophisticated possibly by yeah. the end end of it with, with with some of the sort of long shots yeah yeah intercut yeah yeah thank you okay. yes well if anybody's out there with a <laughs> yeah Get in touch. A spare studio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, five cameras. Get in touch. Yeah, exactly. Um, I was going to, this is a bit of an on the spot question, but since it's a, a book podcast, I was going to ask you, um, do, are there any partic- any um, Shakespeare books in particular that you would recommend, whether it's a, a great edition or a, a, a book of Shakespearean history or interpretation or, or anything really? A wonderful book called 1599 and it's the story am i right it's the story of um uh, shakespeare as a shareholder in uh, a london theater participating in the most fantastic act of corporate robbery <laughs> where he and burbage take hold of um, a theater that's on one side of the thames physically dismantle it and carry it to the other side of the Thames. Have I got this right? Yeah, is that, it's is that, James is it Shapiro. Yeah, that's it, yeah. that's it. Yes, and reassemble it uh, and as the globe. Mm. It's the most wonderful, thrilling book. Yeah. Um, takes you right back into the, the time and it has a novel's sort of, you know, pace and excitement about it and uh, that's... Um, yeah, it's a, f- a fantastic yeah. book. There's a, a sequel as well, I believe, which I haven't yeah. read. I think it's 1606. I think it's The Year of Lear. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't got around uh, to that one yet. Oh, great. Yeah. Well, let me know if you get... Well, I'll race you. I'll race you to read Okay, it. yeah, you're on. <laughs> well, uh, thank you so much. I think I, I'm out of um, questions, I think. Um, it's been so much fun to uh, thank you. chat like this. Very interesting, um, yes, to be... Uh, to be asked about uh, such an interesting play. Yeah, it's def- it remains one of my absolute absolute favourites for all the for all mm. the reasons we've we've discussed. It's funny the Czechs don't like it. Oh really? The, the yes, somebody said to me. Oh no, he quoted. Uh, I won't name him, but he he he's the he's the the preeminent translator of Shakespeare here in the Czech Republic, and he said to Guy who 
produced Puppet King Richard II the first time we did it, uh, he said to Guy, he said, no, we Czechs don't like, they don't like Coriolanus and they don't like Richard II. And wouldn't say any more about about why, but he said that there's just no luck in it. Uh, you know, you they won't come. Um, don't do it. Don't bother. You know, was his uh, wow. Was was and and I I'm not quite sure why that is or what guy wasn't sure either. I think he said it's maybe to do because it's it, it's such a play about failure. You know, mm. he's such a failure, <laughs> Richard the <II. laughs> But but he has a he's a very successful failure. Yeah. I think you know it's a success hugely successful players piece of writing the czechs have produced some of the best books of about, about failure, failure. That have been ever written absolutely <laughs> absolutely yes most of the whole of kafka yeah. is, is about some kind of uh mordant failure yeah interesting yeah, how, but, but people older people older than me uh in the theater often have very very strong opinions about about plays about plays that will do well and plays that won't do well like some people say oh no don't touch treasure island mm. no it's absolutely absolutely doomed <laughs> don't it's you'll you'll have a shipwreck something awful will happen don't do it you know yeah. and uh and, and then there's cues around the block so you don't you don't know really ever but uh, it's funny sometimes when when people over a lifetime of being in the theater have, have accumulated really really strong um lived uh, opinions about what's going to work and what won't work yeah I, I think we've lost that a bit i think i think uh that's part of the animal spirit that boris johnson talks about you know that we've slightly lost that um totally instinctual idea about what people are going to flock to see mm. another podcast yeah well I'd, i would love to have you back and discuss discuss it at some point <laughs> <laughs>